Hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. I'm Stuart Garlic and uh, we are bringing news of the new Gen 3 Formula E car this time and some other stuff which we'll talk about later. Um, I welcome regular visitor to this podcast and Motorsport 101 um, lead man with all the knowledge, Ryan Eric King. Thank you for joining me again on the podcast, Ryan. Oh, it's glad to be back. Well, um, the Gen 3 Formula E car was launched in Monaco. Uh, now, the Monaco e it was good. It, it was a 7.5 out of 10 race. Uh, I think people always overrate Monaco a little bit because of the surroundings and because of the history of it. But, you know, it, it was decent. There were some good battles. There were some good battery issues that uh, kind of throw up some drama and uh, not really any serious crashes uh, that kind of um, uh, derailed the racing. Um I mean, there was there was a fun instant between apparently Degrassi and Mortara that was not picked up on the cameras at all, um, and um, I, I could imagine Formula E social team uh, bashing the hell out of their desks, knowing that they couldn't do any work with that on Monday morning. Um, I, I mean, you're working in the motorsport content industry yourself for Jalopnik, the the motorsport website or the car website rather. How frustrating is it when you get a big story and then realize there's no footage of it? Oh, it is. It pretty much buries the story because that's that's the part where people want to see. If you do a story like that and you don't include footage of the incident, people are going to pretty much write it off as being clickbait. Definitely. And it's so, so frustrating because there's, there's nothing better than uh, an incident between two teammates particularly when one of said teammates who is the more senior at the team uh, goes straight to media pen while still in a fuming rage and says uh, that he is the butcher of formula e the uh, meaning meaning his teammate uh, so <laughs> edo mortara series veteran uh, been with uh, venturi since he came to formula e I, I think maybe um, has allowed Lucas Degrassi, uh, I, I think uh, it's fair to say the Sergio Ramos of Formula E, the man who doesn't mind getting his elbows dirty. Um, he's come into the team this season. I think maybe he's let the guy get under his skin a bit. Does it sound like that to you? Uh, I mean, <laughs> not, not to be rude, but anytime you're Lucas Degrassi's teammate, he... Degrassi's going to get under your skin at some point. <laughs> I guess this was just that point. Uh, but we'll, we'll, yeah. talk, we'll talk a bit a bit about the uh, future of various Formula E drivers next season um, uh, later on if we, if, um, if we get the time, which hopefully we will. But Gen 3, first of all. Um, now, they said that the design would grow on us. I think that they're right. A, a bit a bit like when you used to have to buy an album and take it home and listen to it about six or seven times to work out if it was any good or not. That's kind of the feeling I've got about the Gen 3. When it launched last week, I, I think it might have been the sort of um, pastel-y uh, colours they used to decorate the show car, but I, I thought, oh my God, it looks like a cartoon paper aeroplane with wheels. Um <laughs> And people were comparing it to the Tesla Cybertruck. People were comparing it to a 3D printed triangle on wheels. And uh, the, the press coverage it got on that day was not kind, it's fair to say. But I feel like people everywhere are softening a bit. And, uh, you know, that there's been some good video coverage of it. And uh, there's been some articles explaining why it's shaped the way it is and exactly what's under the skin. 
and it doesn't look half bad now. It's it's rakish. Um, sure, it's it's small, so it looks a bit like a jumped up Formula Four car. But I kind of think after a season of watching it, it will look fine. But um, what 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 were your thoughts when you first saw it, and what are your thoughts now? Uh, my feelings roughly haven't changed. Where all in all. I, I love the performance capabilities of the car that theoretically could hit 200 miles an hour and the, you know, the amount of regen it uses, the the sustainable materials it's constructed out of, but I, I still can't get over the fact of, like, not only the shape, just like, the, just the blunt triangle shape, but to me, the big sticking point to me, the front wing, I just... Well, main specifically the end plates. The fact of how canted over the end plates are that that they go from uh, tire edge to edge. Mm. It looks it it looks so brutish in a way to describe it. Yeah, and I, I wonder if that was a purely cosmetic decision or maybe something to do with uh, limiting the impact of a wheel going into it, perhaps. Uh, it's it's hard to say without interviewing one of the designers, but it um, so, sometimes with these cars, what looks like a cosmetic decision, like the decision to put wheel arches over the Gen 2, turned out to uh, have decent consequences in that it, it led to, uh, you know, contact not ending people's race. But with this one, it's hard to say. Uh, would you say it's purely cosmetic? I'd say it's a bit of column A, a bit of column B. I think that it was done for a reason, but it wasn't the only solution to to get to their goal. Yeah. Um, the car was uh, designed in collaboration, apparently, with Stellantis Design Center, which puts, puts together the styling for uh, the Peugeot and DS and, uh, um, and um, other auto ranges under the Stellantis umbrella. Um, and th th there are some commonalities with the Peugeot um, uh, Le Mans hypercar, which a lot of people have been raving about because it's it's got that sort of retro uh, 90s 905 type look, but without a rear wing. But uh, it, it's fair to say the Gen 3 hasn't had the same positive press that the Peugeot has. Do, do you think maybe this is a case of not being able to carry over styling cues from a big car to a smaller car, or is it something more complex than I'm putting it? Uh, I think it's a bit complex, where uh, you can't really harken back to anything because it is meant to be a single-make chassis, meant to be used by numerous manufacturers from different, not only countries, but continents. Uh, but I... I do think that I think it's something that Formula always does where they try to push the envelope to make their cars unique from the quote-unquote traditional single-seater car and to completely throw the what's been the standard Coke bottle designed for a single-seater that's been used for, well, a half-century now out the window is the ultimate bucking tradition trend but i think it might have been a bridge too far right um, 
by a bridge too far, do you imagine that this might actually be a turnoff for uh, Fairweather fans? Because obviously the Formula E fans, you know, um, they're going to stick around. People are going to be watching Formula E who already watch Formula E. But uh, by launching a new chassis, you're looking to attract a new crowd, aren't you? Um, I mean... People eventually started buying Teslas when they realised that, uh, the, well, when, when they saw more of the car on the road and when they saw that this, uh, you know, um, very futuristic design was something that they could uh, th- that they could get used to and get some street cred from. But uh, selling a racing series is different to selling a road car. I, I wonder how they're going to do it. Well, I, I don't think, well, I don't think this will be a major issue because formally like they regularly update the bodywork like it's it'll be two or three seasons before we see the gen 3 evo it's it's not something that will hurt the series long term it'll probably be you know again two or three seasons of people of their car being extremely divisive mm. Uh, in, in fact, uh, the race reports that um, the, the Formula E teams have already had secret talks, or at least the FE manufacturers have already had secret talks about uh, the uh, or a workshop about the Gen Four chassis and what it what it will look like and what what it will be like, uh, and uh, they're they're pinning a date of twenty twenty six on that launching. So uh, it looks like another three or four years with this car and. You know, I remember the impact when the Gen 2 launched, and I remember how people uh, thought it was like something that came out of space, and now it's accepted. So maybe a little bit like how uh, the No Halo crowd were going on at Formula 1 in 2018 and now we don't even think about the halo because it because it looks integrated and we've forgotten about it. Is maybe it's going to be one of those things. I'm speculating, of course. Yeah, and and even with the Gen Two car, we were only supposed to have it for what two seasons before it was supposed to be Evoed, but then that obviously got cancelled due to the pandemic. Where, like, I think it's a good thing that Formula E constantly thinks about presenting a new front-facing look to people because if if one of the iterations of cars ends up being this controversial. It's not going to be around for long. Yes, uh, and the Gen 2 Evo, if you remember, was a bit of a backward step from the Gen 2 in that uh, they, they'd taken away the wheel arches. Now, uh, supposedly the body coverings uh, they thought were encouraging too many clashes and, too, and too, um, were encouraging people to um, have accidents knowing that there wouldn't be serious consequences. Uh, all of the bodywork over the wheels has gone from this one, so... I, I think the FIA and Spark Technologies are hoping that uh, that will encourage cleaner racing. Um, how do you feel about that after, you know, um, after sitting through years and years of IndyCar and NASCAR e- evolutions? Uh, I think I agree with them because, like, if if you remember the first time out in London where tight confines and, you know... When you see bodywork over the wheels, it kind of changes your mindset when you're racing wheel to wheel. When you see a spinning tire, however, you know that that could launch off something. Yeah, yeah. 
so I've got some stats here for the Gen 3. Uh, it's going to be a 350 kilowatt motor, they say, um, at the rear. But there's also going to be a motor at the front, which is only being used for regen purposes to begin with, uh, um, which is uh, a further 250 kilowatts of uh, potential power. Uh, they think that in race conditions, um, a, a car should be, a driver should be able to extract 40% of his power from regen, which presumably will lead to longer races and, uh, um, and, and, um, more of an onus on energy management, even in safety car interrupted races. Uh, and they're talking about potentially fast charging pit stops. Um, d does any of this excite you? Uh, I'm definitely excited. I don't know if we'll get longer races, because this would also give them the ability to, say, in future iterations of the car, to have smaller batteries. Because if there's more regen and you can fast charge, you don't need to carry that much battery capacity on board. And smaller batteries also means lighter cars. And, you know, by that extent, faster cars. Uh, yeah, and uh, the Gen 3 battery is smaller uh, than the Gen 2 battery. Uh, it's also also being made by Williams Advanced Engineering, who made the Gen 1 battery, but uh, uh, then lost the tender to McLaren Applied Technologies for the uh, Gen 2 battery. Um, heard some off-the-record discussion, which I wouldn't possibly repeat. Um, people saying that they were a little concerned about the durability of the Williams Advanced Engineering battery versus the McLaren battery. Um, any credence in that, or um, are, are we talking Are we talking about apples and other kinds of apples here? Uh, I'd definitely say apples to other species of apple, where complaints about the gen one williams battery are fair but so much time has passed and technically williams advanced engineering are under new ownership now don't recall but i do believe it is a private consortium the tech specs have attracted some uh positive feedback the uh the the out outward look of the car it's something that maybe with a lot of people are hoping will grow on them and some people view as a turnoff um but actually things look things look decent um in in terms of the performance of the car obviously the test driver benoit treloyer um who is a former uh super gt and uh WEC and um i i think he was a european formula 3 champion back in the early 2000s but um, he's got um, he's got bags of experience, um, but uh, obviously he was going to big up the car because he's been testing it for the last few months. Um, he said uh, it will be much easier for teams to uh, man to, to manage the brakes because it will be nearly full electric, and you will have many tools to really adjust the brake to how you want it to be, which is uh, easier than with mechanical brakes. He's referring to the uh, much hyped o omission on the Gen Three car of rear of rear mechanical brakes. Um, it's going to have front brakes, I believe, which um, yes. it is is good because w when I read that there were no rear brakes, uh, I I was thinking oh oh cripes. Um, but uh, yeah, um, most of the braking power is going to be through regen, and it's not going to need a paddle on the steering wheel. Supposedly, it's going to be through the car's software. So, interesting times, but 
given the number of um well i i guess i've got to be careful what i say because um they they may not have been gen 2 break by wire issues but the number of times we saw we saw cars uh, go off the track on the first lap due to um due to regen braking not having kicked in and mechanical braking being required if they've only got um mechanical brakes on two of the wheels uh, are we likely to see incidents at practice starts and straight off the start line when drivers haven't quite got attuned to the fact that uh, uh, they they haven't got their regen yet yes if i recall uh at the early person portion of the race it's it's not that regen uh like it's not that regen isn't working at the early start of the race if i recall it's by regulation but they can't use it the early part of the race so it would be a situation where the rules would be changed so regen would be available for that opening lap and they we wouldn't run in the situations where <laughs> people just completely lock up in the first corner and just go flying off into the runoff well that that's a good thing and uh, i i would imagine that uh, in 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 the background in secret uh, uh, spark have been looking at those uh, um, brake and uh, driver um, driver error related issues on the Gen Two, and I mean it, it was always an, an anomaly for me how you would have um, seriously top tier racing drivers, uh, almost all of whom could um, could easily run in the top ten in a Formula One race, and they were seemingly just losing it under braking in ways that you know maybe maybe a Formula Four driver might, and the 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 only answer that anyone i spoke to could come up with was um it was it was because of the mechanical brakes being seriously cold and or well not quite working in the way that they would expect because they because they were used to the regen braking being there but um hopefully the gen 3 will sort out that issue anyway um in in terms of the quality of the racing, um, you, you said they might not be longer races. I, I think the format is still being played with and discussed, but they'll certainly need longer tracks if these are going to be that much power, that much more powerful in terms of performance. So, um, this is going to continue the calendar issues that we've seen, isn't it? They're, they're going to need to rebuild a lot of the existing tracks. They're going to need to find bigger parks and uh, bigger areas of cities willing to um, give up their space for the weekend. It, it's going to be tough for Formula E to plan ahead, isn't it? Uh, I, I don't think that'll necessarily be the case where I think that's one of the reasons they opted not to, to have four wheel drive because that would make the cars accelerate even, even quicker. Uh, I think it's just a situation where if they limit them to just rear wheel drive, yes, the cars are more powerful and they'll be going faster, but, but that increase won't be too significant that it won't be manageable that they could use most of their ex existing circuits for now, but they will have to slowly transition to more appropriate venues. Okay. Uh, in interesting point. So um, when, when of course, they bring in, if they do bring in four-wheel drive, maybe when Gen 3 gets EVO'd, then uh, that's the point at which they'll need to think about um, longer tracks. Um I, I was concerned uh, looking at a photo on, well, a series of photos on Instagram of the Jakarta FE track being built because 
um, if if any, if anyone wants to uh, search out these photos, essentially uh, pe people have people have uh, people have taken and copied aerial photos of the Jakarta track being built. That's a permanent track. Um, okay, it's it's in, it, it's it's in parkland. It's next to it's next to the sea. But um, that if, after all all of that fuss, where Jean Tot apparently said um, um, when he was outgoing president of the FIA, um, Formula E will never go back to permanent circuits because Valencia was such a disaster. Um, you know, Jakarta is a permanent track. I, I I don't think I'm saying anything controversial there. I mean, if you've got bulldozers putting down tarmac on a racetrack, that's a permanent racetrack, is it not? Uh, yes and no. I, I think it, it really feels like a lot of people at the FIA informally have a different interpretation of what is a permanent track compared to everyone else. Because, well, I think Jakarta is obviously the biggest example of this, but this isn't new. Like the temporary tarmac that got laid over the streets of Paris anytime we race there. Mm. I know parts of uh, the circuit in New York has to be paid uh, specifically for Formula E. Like, for that, uh, there being seemingly massive road changes to accommodate Formula E isn't new. And it's, it's difficult to say that Formula E has a true street circuit on the calendar. I have to go one by one to actually do the research at each venue. But uh, I'd say most of these streets are better maintained than most normal city streets to accommodate racing. Yeah, and without wishing to go to Joe Divine TIFO podcast tangential on you here... Um, it, I guess it reminds me a little bit of the vegan nuggets I buy from the supermarket. Um, <laughs> yes, they are more sustainable and better for the environment just about than chicken nuggets. And they make me feel better because I'm not eating a chicken's foot while I'm having my dinner. But they still have to go through a process. They still have to be breaded. They still have to go through a factory and be, and be processed, whatever's in there. Uh, so... In a way, building a temporary racetrack, it's like vegan nuggets compared to chicken nuggets. You're, st you're still doing something because it's motorsport. Yes, you're still doing something. It's still motorsport. You're still putting down pavement for racing cars, albeit near or in a city center. Got me thinking about vegan nuggets now. God, I'm hungry. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> the... There, there is other Formula E news apart from Gen 3. Uh, most of it centres around uh, team moves and driver moves. Uh, a lot of teams are changing powertrain for next season. Um, and obviously the current powertrain performance of the Gen 2 cars has almost zero bearing on what it will be like next season. So we need to bear that in mind. But um, all of the present uh, Formula E manufacturers, with the with the exception of uh, Mercedes and Audi, who um, obviously are withdrawing their their power units next season, um, Audi left at the at the end of last season, but Envision continue to use it on a grandfather basis this year. Um, Mercedes are leaving entirely at the end of uh, this season. Um, 
so what what we've got is a situation where um, uh, Dragon Penske are going to become DS Penske next season, which, you know, exciting. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, Andretti, who were using, I beg your pardon, another one, the BMW power units, are going to use uh, Porsche next season. Uh, Envision are going to use Jaguar. Um, looks like to replace Mercedes in the franchise slot, uh, McLaren are going to come in and probably use a lot of Mercedes engineers. Um, maybe we hope even carry over the Formula E Toto Wolf Ian James. That would be nice. Um, <laughs> but uh, they're likely to use Nissan. Uh, Venturi are going to use the DS powertrain badge as a Maserati, and they're going to call themselves Maserati as well. But I think they're going to remain in Monaco. Um, and um, to Cheetah, God knows what. Um, they're, they're, they're losing the DS powertrain and their management say that they're looking at other options. Now, as it stands, the only other option for them, um, for reasons which I'll explain in a minute, is likely to be Neo, Neo 333's customer powertrain because uh, Neo 333 uh, builds its own powertrain uh, in collaboration with a local company. But... Um, theirs is thought to be, along with possibly the Mahindra and maybe the Nissan, the slowest powertrain in Formula E. So uh, it's it's still not the most desirable piece of kit in the sport, but it, it's it's seen as something that's easy to set up and easy to run at least, um, and yeah. um, so, something that something that a privateer team could take up fairly fairly quickly and easily. Um, but, you know, Tachita looks in a pretty bad way right now. Uh, DS basically put in the money for them to do the season um, when it looked like they were allegedly going to go out of business during the eight-week break between races at the start. Um, Seeker, the Chinese uh, fund that backs them, wants out. Uh, I, I don't know. We, we had this situation when Neo wanted to leave as a manufacturer and when Neo 333 replaced them as a uh, as, as at the time a privateer team, then became a manufacturer again uh, with Neo as a sponsor. But it's always tricky, isn't it, when you've got a franchise system like in Formula E and you've got one of the teams struggling for fi- struggling financially because ideally you'd like a manufacturer to come straight in and replace them. But, well, no manufacturers are ready to do that and um, uh, th- th- there aren't really any other manufacturers wanting to do a badge, badge engineering et- initiative with another current powertrain supplier. So, um, I mean, do, do you think... To cheetah with a Neo three 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 powertrain can at least be a stopgap next season. And do you think that maybe they're holding the franchise for a manufacturer in the hope that a manufacturer will come in the following season? Uh, I it's hard to tell because like next year to cheetah pretty much starting with a blank slate because again you mentioned them pretty much running with a placeholder powertrain. They're not going to have either of their dr- current drivers next yeah. season. They they are starting from square one again. Yeah, so uh, uh, Jean Eric Verne is probably going to be confirmed soon to move to uh, uh, DS Penske um, because he's a Peugeot uh, Stellantis uh, um, um, contracted driver with with uh, the Le Mans hypercar project. So makes sense to keep him under the, under the umbrella. Um, and um, Antonio Felix da Costa is leaving for Porsche, reports say. So yeah, they're going they're going to have to find two experienced Formula E drivers from somewhere, aren't they? Yeah. And 
I'd, I'd say the the market is fairly comp- it's certainly a driver's market considering uh the entry of, you know, a new team into the sport. Uh albeit one might be leaving as well. E- even though I'm pretty sure we'll get to another team re-entering the sport later on this episode. Oh, absolutely. I think I think that's a very apt segue as it were, but uh <laughs> um I'm I'm full of dad jokes. I, I I do I do another podcast where uh, uh someone laughs at my dad uh, so someone someone laughs ironically at my dad jokes and I think I think sadly it's seeping through into the professional minded podcast that I'm supposed to be doing here. Oh, no. I know, I know. Um it, it, this is the kind of behavior that almost got me kicked from the Motorsport 101 Discord server as well, so I should be careful. <laughs> anyway, um the DS Penske deal may be surprised a few people, including me, but maybe it shouldn't have done because uh, Dragon Penske have been soldiering on for years uh, in the hope of finding a manufacturer partner. They thought they did in season four when Porsche uh, looked quite keen on it for about five minutes and uh, then there was a quick parting of the ways. Um, they took on a partner last season in Bosch, uh, the uh, German electronics company, and uh, that ended at the end of last season. So, um, essentially, electronics companies and manufacturers don't seem to stick with Dragon for a long time. So, I would have thought that DS and Stellantis would have got a bit more um, buy-in in terms of uh, control when they when they agreed this uh, this manufacturer deal. Um, can we expect, for example, uh, Jay Penske to maybe take a back seat? Uh, that's what I would consider seeing because I think I think the move to Penske is both well, the move to Dragon Auto Support is is mainly uh, a move where uh, I think a lot of the value in the team is off the track because that's jay penske's biggest strength he is uh a marketer and a publisher at heart and on track uh this team hasn't won a race since i think season two uh Hmm. i i think with jay penske's marketing abilities with the you know, proven technical competence of DS, this team does have the potential to go far. You know, props to Jay Penske as well. Uh, in in his in his own field of expertise, which is publishing, he's seemingly done a really good job of reviving uh, print media. Uh, he he took over Rolling Stone when it was at a low ebb and well it's still going uh which uh which which most of its uh print uh music industry rivals could not say um so he he's clearly got some kind of a good marketing touch but it's it's not really transferred over to motorsport and i know we've had private chats about why that might be it says a lot that especially in formula e where manufacturers and teams have have you know come and went Dragon has been here since the first season, and they've been able to stay financially viable this entire time. The Penske name does carry a lot of weight, especially in the motorsport world, and uh, I think Jay is leaning a lot on his last name. Andretti Porsche looks like a really smart move, given given how the Porsche powertrain's doing this season. 
Andretti haven't shown great nous for uh, developing something that's already fast to continue to be fast through the season. We're, we're seeing a bit of a drop back for Dennis and Askew based on their start of, start of the season performance. And usually it was the case that BMW I Andretti would, uh, would, would, would move back into the midfield as the season went on. But if they start off with uh, cracking equipment that's already a proven race winner, then I think we might see Andretti, particularly if Jake Dennis continues his upward curve in Formula E, challenging next season. Would you agree? Uh, yes, I, I, I would agree, but I, I think it's gonna, it's gonna, again, like you said, heavily depend on the equipment they get and what Porsche has out of the box at the start of Gen Three. Well, yeah, and um, of course, you know, a, a bit like with the F1 rules change, everyone is uh, working from an almost blank sheet of paper here. They they can, they can of course uh, take take cues and take um, uh, things that have worked well for them from this generation of FE car, but it's a, it's essentially um, a brand new box of tricks that they've got to work. Envision and Jaguar now, uh, Envision have been at times outperforming the works Audi team with that Audi powertrain, um, particularly last season. But um, Jaguar, well, they, they look strong at tracks where, where they're strong, um, which, which tend to be the, tend to be the quicker tracks. Um, and um, if they, they dominated Rome, for example, and uh, looked, looked okay at Monaco, at least until the battery issues kicked in. Um, is, is Envision Jaguar likely to be a winning combination? Uh, I, I'm leaning towards yes, uh, if, if they're in the field where they are now, uh, Envision Jaguar should be very competitive. I, I honestly think most weekends will probably beat the factory team. Potentially, at least. Potentially. Um, I mean, Envision is an incredibly well-organized team. And I, I think having having Sylvain Felipe uh, as both technical head of the team and also uh, team principal for those couple of seasons seems to have really made a difference in, in its development and in how everything knits together. Because, uh, they, yeah, they, they've, they've done a cracking job with customer equipment. And the, the gap between manufacturer and customer isn't great in Formula E because... Um, customers, um, uh, as as part of their mandate, get uh, get um, uh, customer test days. But they they've they've done a they've done a standout job with that. Could be losing Robin Freins though, uh, if reporting is correct, uh, to a new team that's coming in, which is also an old team. So Apt Sports Line is coming back with a uh, non-manufacturer backed effort. Um, now. Apt are working with Cupra, which is obviously part of the the VW group in Extreme E, um, and they're still, I believe, working with Audi in the um, the thing that we're supposed to call DTM now. But um, they're not going to be able to work with Audi this time, and there is no Cupra this time. So, what do you make of Apt coming in seemingly as a privateer? That the last time. It was in Gen 1 at the start, and it was as a stalking horse so that Audi could come in and take over the effort eventually when they saw Formula E was worthwhile. 
Is this maybe uh, the VW Group keeping its options open and thinking, well, you know, if these F1 plans don't progress, uh, then maybe we could do with um, a, um, with with another franchise alongside Porsche, because um, it it does still effectively leave VW Group with an option of two franchises in the future if they wish to buy into it. Um, after likely to come in with Mahindra powertrains, it, again, based on Mahindra's record with powertrains over the last few seasons, I don't see that as being a long-term solution. What's cooking here? Uh, I think despite, you know, apps, you know, comfortable relations with VW Group, I think this might be the other way around where uh, apt, apt know that they can be competitive in Formula E. They have... You know, they have a competent program when they've been in when they've been in the championship. They know that if they re-enter Formula E, it it'd be it'd be enticing not only for uh, a VW Group manufacturer but any automotive manufacturer. Uh, that it would be a big selling point. They they've won the team championships. They've won the driver championship here. Uh, it it's just a good commercial move for any manufacturer entering, entering the sport to partner with Apt, who are clearly making it known that they want to be in Formula E, regardless of having a manufacturer backing or not. Now, for so many years, the man synonymous with Apt in Formula E was Lucas Degrassi. Uh, he left for Venturi when uh, Audi left the sport last season. Um I'd say he's done a reasonable job at Venturi, while Mortara has been generally quicker. Um, I mean, Degrassi's always going to have that that nous. He's always always going to have that ability to be in the running at the end of the season. He 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 does play a very good long game, and I I think he's fairly important to Formula E's image as well, given given his knowledge, given given how much he knows about environmental causes, about about electric uh, mobility and so on. He's he's a really good guy to have on the grid and to have for interviews, as well as being still a fairly quick driver. But Apt looked like um a looked like a fairly smooth fit for him. Seems that he may have inked to deal with another team. That's presumably going to be the new McLaren team, I would guess. But again, it's guesswork. Um, do, do you have any any steer on what Degrassi might be planning for next season? Oh, I have no clue what Lucas Degrassi might be planning next month, let alone next season. I, I, think, I think although he shapes himself as something of a 4D chess player, uh, that may also be the case for Lucas Degrassi sometimes. Yes, yes. Although um, the reporting is that he's definitely not going to be staying at Venturi, even though they've done a really good job with the Mercedes this season. It um, uh, seems like Venturi are going to be going with Mortara and AN Other uh, when Maserati take over the naming rights for the team. Um, I think a lot of people were hoping that person might be Antonio Giovinazzi, but based on his FE performances, it's just not happening for him this season, is it? Uh, I I can't blame the guy too much. He had very little testing thanks to his F1 activities, but it's always hard for a guy coming in, but there doesn't seem to be any sign of a Jake Dennis-style uplift in the second half of the season, does there? Yeah, I, I think that's, like you mentioned, the lack of, of testing to me seems to be the biggest reason why Giovinazzi has been where he is, that 
for a Formula One driver moving the Formula E, that's the biggest hurdle because because the way each of their seasons are formatted, there is so little time and a lot of crossover between each of the championships that if you move directly from one to the other, there's no time to prepare. Yeah. Now, uh, if um, assuming McLaren do come back to Formula E, they're likely to come back with a Nissan powertrain. Uh, the Nissan powertrain this year has been um, slow as a slow thing, but of course, you know they 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 start off again with with a clean homologation next season, if I can say the word, and um, that that might actually suit them because uh, if, if you if you believe Nissan Edams, a lot of the problems came from supply chain issues related to COVID, came from uh, the late introduction of uh, the previous powertrain and. Uh, j- just a lot of uh, technical gremlins that they don't seem to think will be repeated next time. Um, Nissan seem to be in a mood to take Formula E really seriously and get people thinking again about them as uh, the foremost electric mobility manufacturer, like like people did for a while when the Leaf was the best-selling car uh, in that sector. Um, can they do it? And uh, is McLaren the right partner for them at this stage? Oh... Uh... I would, I'd say it, it heavily depends on the personnel uh, McLaren bring in. Like you mentioned earlier in the show, that it's right now it's heavily rumored that uh, McLaren are going to be have a lot of Mercedes staff uh, with their team. Uh, it's not clear whether uh, McLaren will be, you know, uh, HWA with with McLaren covering. But if they are they're going to be the team to watch next year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, obviously, HWA were... They, they struggled in the opening races, but I, I think um, as, as soon as Van Dorn took pole position in Hong Kong in Season 5, we we kind of knew that they were on the money. I I, I actually think if HWA continued as HWA f- um, for the following few seasons of Gen 2, they... They they might have even ended up in this place where Mercedes are already. Yeah, like I I don't think like especially adapting to a different manufacturer's powertrain, I don't think they'll be able to get up to where Mercedes are that quickly. But they're going to be a, a constant points threat. Uh, maybe even a con like in the talking like in the discussion for podiums every race weekend, which as a new team is extremely impressive they're going to have to do it without their two uh, Mercedes current drivers though um, they're, they're both ex-McLaren juniors but they seem to be uninterested in um, in in rejoining McLaren I, I don't think there's anything personal there I think Stoffel Van Dorn was reserve driver in F1 for McLaren last season so I, I think I think Stoffel goes where he thinks the wins are. Um, yep. Looks looks like he is going to uh, DS Penske. So uh, Van Dorn and Jev would be a fantastic combination for the ages. I think uh, if if they did get it together. Yeah, I, I I don't know how Jev keeps doing it, but he gets himself into these super pairings and Effie. Well, yeah, and. Of course, he's going to have to give up his Tachita shareholding to do that, which is going to be a bind for him, I would have thought. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it was a decent run at Tachita, and I think ownership was 
partly to make ensure that he he couldn't be forced out of the team for any reason, even though its performance never hmm. never nece- necessitated the discussion of him having to leave. Yeah, that's that's potentially true, and I I think also after um I, after struggles with maybe DS Virgin, perhaps Jev also on his side wanted uh, the security of knowing that he could intervene if he saw anything in management he didn't enjoy particularly. It does leave McLaren looking around for drivers, which is why people have been looking at uh, Degrassi as a possible choice. De-, De Vries looks like, sadly, he might even leave FE altogether. It it depends entirely on how many calendar clashes there are with, with the WEC next season, because it looks like Toyota will have a space in their LM hypercar for him. And, well, w- while obviously he's going to do a thoroughly professional job and probably even step things up a bit for Toyota... Um, it's a sad loss for FE, isn't it? Uh, it, it? It's sad whenever whenever a sport loses a champion, but if Formula E can't get a situation where there are no calendar clashes with WEC, which, you know, is difficult when, you, when you've got 16 races, it's, it's going to be sad to lose him, isn't it? Yeah, especially that was kind of, you know, a fear in the back of my mind with how the top class of sports car racing has not only unified but attracted so many manufacturers that these manufacturers not only want obviously the best drivers available, but they want, uh, they want full-time commitments where I think it's not only whether race weekends class at formally, but, but also testing programs as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. And, uh, of course, um, it's it's easy to forget about the amount of sim work you need to be competitive in Formula E, but I think the struggles of uh, some of the new drivers over the seasons um, has has shown that. I remember, uh, I remember hearing uh, that uh, when Andre Lotterer came into Formula E, uh, essentially until he started using the simulator and taking it seriously, um, he was he was not anywhere serious. Um, so I think I think we've covered all of the confirmed moves here. There is there is one potentially red herring in that red herring is the definition of something that doesn't exist and won't exist. But uh, sponsoring the Monaco E Prix was, uh, and I've I've got here in my in my notes, <laughs> uh, TVR exclamation mark exclamation mark exclamation mark lol. Um, I don't know if I'm being unfair on the uh, venerable British um, car manufacturer, but TVR wants to come into Formula E in spite of also developing an electric V8, uh, an electric Griffith alongside its V8 Griffith, and um, uh, only having, according to some sources like Evo magazine, um, a maximum of two test mules at the moment. Um, this this strikes this strikes a lot of people, including someone on Twitter I noticed, um, as being vaporware. But does it sound like that to you? Yes, it does. It it doesn't like, especially in the electric car industry. This this feels like big vaporware, where it seems like TVR just want to get that brand awareness while still being a manufacturer that is. Pretty much the antithesis of an electric car manufacturer. 
Yeah, and the, the, the trouble is that there has been at best mixed success when uh, manufacturers known for huge, rorty, gas-guzzling ICE engines try to pivot to electric. Uh, Harley-Davidson tried it with electric bikes, and uh, from, from what I can tell, the needle hasn't really tipped for them. Um, same thing to a different extent with the Hummer EV. It's, it seems not to be something that people are going towards in droves. Um do, do you think it's just that when when you have a retro name such as Harley or TVR or Hummer, um, it, it just doesn't fit in with 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 all of these uh, disruptive EV manufacturers that people are going for these days? Yeah, it, it's like sort of sort of like thinking about it, these manufacturers wanting to come to FE and and especially with TVR and. I think what during the Monaco weekend TVR also hinted at that the fact that they might even want to start their own Formula E team, which mm-hmm. to me was even more ridiculous. Well, th- that's what they're saying that they're going to be in Formula E uh, during during the Gen Three era at some point. But if they don't come in right at the start of Gen Three, they're going to be behind the curve on development. Uh, if they want to develop their own powertrain, well, y- you need. Um, you need serious manufacturer backing these days, and yeah. um, a, a, a um, with the best will of the will will in the world, you know, um, a a small factory in Blackpool, which is what it what it was before it went bust the first time, is is not going to have the manpower to do that. They're they're, go, they're going to need to bring in some serious ringers from from elsewhere in the sport, and I I just I just can't see who's going to be willing to go to TVR. It, it reminds me yep. of F. Reminds me of F1 in the 90s when I, I constantly heard rumours of Al Melling vi- building, building an F1 engine which was going to go in the back of the Lola before before they uh, uh, ended up falling out of F1 in 97. And um, when, whenever these sort of privateer engine manufacturers try to develop something a bit disruptive or a bit new, it, it, it always fell on fallow ground just because you need so much money to do this. Yeah, and if if they're struggling to even develop an electric road car, I don't have much faith they could develop a racing power train. Yeah, but uh, they they were they were insisting to the people at the race that, um, as in the people at the Monaco E Prix, that uh, they were going to do this. So, I I suppose um, I. I will uh, happily eat a piece of humble pie um, <laughs> when when they do. Um, in fact, I, I I will I will happily eat my hat if if TVR comes into Formula E, and I will quite happily be on video eating a hat in the TVR garage if they come into Formula E. So, uh, yeah, um, but excellent. Um, good to, good to see the name back. I just hope it's serious because. Uh, um, after their after their struggles under Russian ownership, I I, I just think um, it, it would be nice to see a British car manufacturer actually doing well with without having to go through you know constant cycles of death throes, as it were. Um, it, it would be nice. Anyway, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on for this uh, for this edition of the Motion E podcast. There'll be much more coming up very soon. 